Well, I'm preaching the song we the psalm we sang. So Psalm 62 tonight is where we're going. If you thought the psalm series was over, I couldn't I couldn't leave it. I can't get out of can't get out of the psalm. So um, I want to do a little appendix, a little footnote to our psalm series, and look at one more psalm tonight. Psalm 62. Did anyone at any time this week experience stress or pressure and found it difficult to trust God? Am I alone in that? (laughs) Well, this psalm, we see David under tremendous stress, under tremendous pressure, not only as as someone who follows the Lord, but as a king. Great pressure, and we see an unbelievable, almost inexplainable peace that characterizes him. And so what we want to explore tonight is how in the world, in the face of what he was facing and experiencing, how was he able to deal with the stress? You know, we live in a workaholic culture that is characterized, if anything, by busyness and stress. Just think about this past week. How late did some of you stay after work because of the demands of the next day? How often did you check work-related emails when you got home or take work-related phone calls? Did anyone say to you, I know how busy you are, but did anyone complain to you about not getting enough time with you? If tomorrow evening was unexpectedly freed up, would you use it to work or accomplish a task because of the stress associated with even thinking about it? Do you feel tired during the day or have pain in your neck or shoulders? Do you drive the speed limit from one place to another, or are you always on the go, pedal to the metal? Do you take time to do the things you know that you need to be doing, which is pray with your spouse, pray with your children? Did you eat together as a family? It's not bad to be busy. In fact, the Bible commends hard work and tells us that we are to work wholeheartedly to the glory of God in everything our hand finds to do. However, the Bible also commends rest. And we as American Christians in particular are usually not very good at balancing work and rest within the week. Our lives are often characterized by stress and What drives us to behave in such ways? Well, in some cases, is it because we worry about the future and we want to be in control? We think maybe we can manipulate our circumstances and remain in control if we put in the right amount of work required to ensure it. Or in other cases, do we worry about our reputations? What will people think of us if we don't do something. We worry what other people will think, how we'll feel about ourselves, or even what God will think if we don't measure up. Or maybe we want wealth and success, so we work tirelessly trying to secure a certain lifestyle that we believe will bring us security and peace. Well, in Psalm 62, we find King David faced with an incredibly stressful situation. He is surrounded by enemies who are treating him as if he was a wall ready to fall over. And they were doing all they could to make that happen. Yet in spite of this, he is trusting God and is not worried about them. In the face of great stress, great busyness, he exhibits a calm, peaceful response 
that is totally the opposite of how I so often handle the most minor of situations. I can remember one night my wife and I were getting ready to go on a date, and at that moment, as I was either pulling up to the house or something, Katie might correct me on this afterwards, I never get all the details exactly right, but you'll get the gist of the story, pulling up to the house, and there was some issues with the car that I was driving, and we were getting ready to go out on a date, and I just could not get my mind off the fact, I've got to figure out what's going, what's wrong with that. I've got to figure out what's wrong with that. It's going to cause me more problems. I wonder if, how much money we're going to be out. Can we even go on the date now? All this stuff. And she later told me later on, much, much more gracefully than this, but basically you ruined the date. <laughs> Your stress and lack of trusting God ruined the date. She didn't say it that way. So even in the, in the most minor of situations, stress, the lack of trusting God, responding in unbelief, responding as though that caught God off guard too. And that wasn't one of the things that was included in working all things for my good. Nevertheless, I didn't exhibit the kind of calm, peaceful response that David has here, even in the much, much, much more stressful situation. David here doesn't worry about the future. He entrusts himself to God. He doesn't worry about his reputation. He looks to God to honor him. He doesn't find his delight in wealth and success, but instead in the God who loves him and takes care of him. Listen to what one commentator wrote about this, this psalm before we read it. He writes, there is scarcely another psalm that reveals such an absolute and undisturbed peace in which confidence in God is so completely unshaken. And in which assurance is so strong that even one single, not even one single petition is voiced throughout the entire psalm. He doesn't ask God for one thing. He doesn't ask God to kill his enemies. He, he says that in other psalms. <laughs> but not here. Not here. Another commentator wrote, Scarcely anywhere do we find faith in God more nobly asserted, more victoriously triumphant, the vanity of man, of human strength and riches, more clearly confessed. Courage in the midst of peril, more calm and more unshaken than in this psalm. So our question tonight is, how was, able, how was David able to respond so peacefully in such a stressful situation? How was he able to exhibit such grace under pressure? Well, David was able to exhibit such grace under pressure because he believed three things. That's what we're going to look at tonight. He really functionally believed three things. Things that we know in our head but reveal themselves in our life in the way we respond to stressful situations, whether we really believe those things or not. Here's the first truth that David believed. I am not in control, but God is. I am not in control, but God is. Let's look at verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. 
Now, in verses 3 and 4, we get the stressful situation that David is facing. People are looking to depose him as king. He says, how long will you attack a man to batter him? He's speaking of himself. Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence, something that's getting ready to fall over. And yet these enemies of his are coming after him again and again and again. Verse 4, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. Their only goal is to get him deposed as king. They're plotting and they're scheming for his demise. They were looking to overthrow his kingdom and topple his reign. Now, how could David have responded to this situation? Think about it for a minute. He's king. He could have, from my perspective, done one of two things that he didn't do. One thing is he could have run away and hid. He could have found comfort somewhere else. He could have thrown a party to distract him. He could have found a woman to satisfy him. He could have turned to eating or drinking to try to numb the stress. Or he could have attacked the problem. He could have stayed up late strategizing or calling his troops together for a day-long battle plan meeting. Or he could have called upon people to reinforce the walls or sent messengers or spies out to explore these reports while he bites his nails in his room and paces the floor waiting to hear back from them. He could have done whatever he could to try to remedy the problem, but he didn't do any of that. He didn't retreat, and he didn't immediately trust in his own resources and his abilities to solve the problem. What did he do? Turn to God. He trusted God alone. Now, that word alone or only shows up in almost all of the first six verses of this psalm. Did you notice that when we were reading? For God alone, verse 1. He only, verse 2. Verse 4, they only plan to thrust him down. Verse 5, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. Verse 6, he only is my rock. Now, what's the significance of that? Well, since you don't have the Hebrew Bible in front of you and are not able to see actually how the Hebrew writes this out, but the Hebrew begins with this word that we translate alone or only at the beginning of every one of those verses as a way of emphasis. It's capturing David's emphasis that God is his only object of trust. He is not trusting something else or God and something else. He's trusting God alone, and that's why he's so confident. Now, our problem, let me submit something to you, our problem in life is not so much that we don't trust God, but that we trust in other things as well as him. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying we don't avail ourselves of medicine. We don't avail ourselves of doctors. We don't avail ourselves of the things that God has provided for us. I'm saying we can subtly make those things objects of trust where we say, trust God, trust God, leaning on God, relying on God. But you could be relying on a lot of other things, too. Other people, your resources that you have at your disposal, any number of things. David found rest in the face of threat because he trusted in God's protection. He knew that ultimately God was in control and was on his side. Did you notice again how many times David says the word my in this section? 
For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. This is a God he acts like he knows personally. This sort of intimate, close relationship with God yields the kind of faith that he exhibits here. It's the closeness of his relationship with God that gives him the sort of faith to be able to respond to a threat and the stress that this would obviously place upon him. Someone's out to kill him. Someone's out to remove him from being king. Nevertheless, he quiets his soul before the Lord and he says, For God alone, my soul waits in silence. Because he realized that ultimately his kingdom was not in his own hands. His kingdom was in God's hands. And he entrusted himself and his kingdom and his future to God. Which is why he was able to have such confidence. Now what about us? What about us? Do we recognize, really recognize, that God is in control and therefore we don't have to get everything done or figure everything out to trust him? Believe me, your life tells the story. My life tells the story. When stress comes... How often are we wracked with fear and worry and uncertainty? When something unexpected happens, how do we respond? With a fearful retreat or a frantic work? Or do we pray and turn to God first with a quieted soul and confident, patient, hopeful trust? That's what David models for us. Because God is in control, we don't have to be. There's a second truth, though, here that David believed that enabled him to respond with such grace under pressure. Not only, number one, did, God, did, he, did he realize that God was in control and he didn't have to be, but their opinions don't matter, and God's does. Their opinions don't matter, God's does, verses 5 through 9. Now he turns from saying, verse 1, for God alone my soul waits in silence, a fact, Now in verse 5, he calls himself to believe it. He calls himself to believe it. Did you notice verse 5? For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. Now in the first verse, he just stated it. This is what is true of God for me. And then in verses 5 and 6, he now calls himself to believe it. And that's what we have to do too. We have to call ourselves to believe it again. And David does. He reminds himself in verse 7, on God rests my salvation and my glory. Those two words are very important. My salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him, trust in him at all times, O people. Now he's turning to his people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. That's a good leader right there. Modeling it. Modeling it and then calling his people to do it. Verse 9, those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion, and the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. What's he doing in verses 5 to 9? He's reminding himself of whose opinion really matters. In verse 9, he says, those who are a lower state are but a breath. He thinks of his enemies. He looks out at his enemies. And those who might think differently of him based on how he's responding to this. No doubt, word gets out in the kingdom about what David's doing. Hey, did you hear there's a threat against the king? 
Yeah. What's he doing about it? He's praying. (laughs) To some, the godly in Israel, that would be an immense encouragement. To most of the people in Israel, it's like, he's a king. He needs to fight. But he doesn't do that. He looks out and thinks about the reputation that he might have in the world as a king. And he thinks about all those who are against him. And he's like, that's just a breath and delusion. Those aren't the things that really matter. And the balances, they go up. And together, they're lighter than a breath. If I were to take all the opinions of all the people about me and all their attempts to overthrow my reign, it's nothing. It's nothing. Because on God rests my glory. It's not the kingdom that's my glory. It's not what I'm building that's my glory. It's God that's my glory. And that's why he doesn't care if it's shaken. It's not all about him and his reputation. You know, in a stressful situation, we often resort, like I said earlier, to frantic activity because we're worried about our reputation. We're concerned about what people will think about us. We want to find identity and meaning in our lives, so we want to prove ourselves. It's the American way. But don't think that these things didn't cross David's mind in this situation. I mean, imagine what he must have been thinking. Perhaps he'd heard some of the reports. What will they think of David if he doesn't respond correctly? What, what about what others are saying about him? What if he gets back? What if this gets back to his own people, that he's not doing anything yet? How might we respond in such a, such a situation? Do you think we would try to clear our name? Work at preserving our reputation? Make threats? To those who try to call into question our judgments, how dare you speak that way about the king? You don't talk that way about me. But David doesn't do any of those things. He's not after trying to preserve his reputation. Rather, he recognizes that human opinions are fickle and fragile. In verse 7, he recognizes that his glory does not come from the opinions of others, but from God's promises and his salvation. Because God's thoughts about us don't change and are not based on our performance, we're set free from being paralyzed by others' opinions. Because our identity is secure in Christ, we don't have to try to find our identity in what we do, but we can rest in what Christ has done for us. And since we are pleasing in Christ and accepted by God the Father through him, we don't need to try to prove ourselves to God or make a name for ourselves. The only person's opinion that really matters is his opinion anyway. Oh, how easy that is to preach. Oh, how easy that is to listen to. But oh, how different that is Monday through Saturday. Do we live that way? Are we just riding the waves of human opinion all the time? When we're daunted by a big or difficult task, how often we tend to take refuge in other things. A third truth, finally, that David believes that enables him to respond with such grace under pressure is not only the first truth, I'm not in control, but God is. The second truth, their opinions don't matter, his does. But the third truth is my resources won't rescue me, his will. My resources won't rescue me, his will, verse 10 through 12. Put no trust in. In extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, 
Set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this. That power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. Now, David warns us here and reminds himself not to set his heart and trust in something that cannot help him in this situation. Extortion, robbery, riches, anything that's at his disposal that he can manipulate and use for his advantage. He's like, don't do that. Our wealth or our success or our resources give us an opportunity to set our hearts on something else as a way of deliverance. But David reminds us that these are not the things that will ultimately rescue us. He reminds himself that God is loving and God is strong. And those are the resources that will help him in this situation. God's love and God's power. You know, much of our stress in our life is because we forget those two things, isn't it? We forget one or the other. If we forget that God is loving, we, we, don't, we think he doesn't care about our situation. And so, therefore, we have to feel stressful about it and have to fix it ourselves. But if we forget that God is powerful, we forget that he's able to help us and able to rescue us in our stressful situation. It's holding both of those things together that fill David with faith and confidence here. God is both able and eager to help me. God is both powerful and loving. He is both willing and able. So therefore, I don't have to worry about the future. I can put my bed, I can put my head on, on my pillow tonight and go to sleep. You know, power without love, if God were all powerful and not loving, would just be brutal. But love without power would be weak. But God's both. We can trust in God alone because he is both loving. We can come to him and he will receive us. And he's powerful. When we do come to him, he is a sufficient refuge. He is a fortress. He is a strong tower. So Psalm 62 walks us through those three truths. David reminds himself. My soul waits for God alone. Faced with a very stressful situation, faced with a situation that if we were to face, would be incredibly difficult. And he looks at that situation, and instead of getting on the floor in the fetal position and crying like a baby, or taking up his army and staying up late all night to go figure out who these people are, he entrusts himself to God. And he's able to do that because he recognizes that he's not in control, that God's opinion is what matters, and that God's resources are the only thing that's going to help him in this situation anyway. But you know, there's a greater David who did all of Psalm 62 way better than David did, facing a far worse enemy than David ever could have faced. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord Jesus Christ himself Submitted to a stressful situation that we cannot even begin to imagine. Judas and his thugs show up while the disciples are sleeping. And Jesus is sweating like great drops of blood on the ground. 
staring into the cup he's about to drink, saying, God, my Father, if there is any way, any way that this cup can pass from me, please, please, just feel the stress. Looking around, seeing no friends. Looking around, seeing enemies on the horizon. And then that very enemy shows up. And the situation goes from a little bit of stress to even more stress. As he gets brought before Pilate. Jesus is on his way to Pilate. I'm not in control. God is. I asked him. Your will be done. He has shown that will. I am not in control. I submit myself to him. And he walks the path to the cross. When he gets to Pilate, his reputation and the opinions of people run over him like crazy. One false accusation after another. And like a lamb before it shears, he's silent. Because their opinions don't matter. They don't matter what they think about him. It doesn't matter. Pilate says, you're a king. Why aren't you answering your charges? Because I know who I am. I don't have to defend myself to you. He knew where his salvation and his glory came from. It came from God. And then we follow that hill all the way up to Golgotha. He's reaffirmed his confidence in God's control. He trusted God's opinion of him and not his own reputation. And then we move to that hill and we see him again, not depending on his own resources, even though he could have called legions of angels to come to his aid. He did not rely on his own resources to rescue him. Rather, he committed himself to his father even while receiving the wrath that you and I deserve. And this is why we can say, along with David, to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. To you, O Lord, belongs power. Because in the cross, we see Christ, the wisdom and the power of God. So our desire to control our lives, to find a reputation outside of what God has given us, and to depend on ourselves rather than on God, is a great offense to God. Make no mistake about it. It's a great offense. In fact, such behavior necessitated the death of God's son. But God was willing to offer his son, and his son was eager to do it because he loves us. So if God loves us so well... Do we really need to be in control? If God has given us this identity as sons and daughters, do we really need to create our own? If God has pledged himself to us, do we really need to depend on ourselves? The answer to all that is no. Because we see that Jesus is the greater David who entrusted himself to God in the midst of our greatest and the greatest moment of stress possible. Facing the furious wrath of God against our sin. And here we find rest for our souls. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for 
one more glimpse. We can never get too many glimpses of our, of our Savior from the Psalms, but we thank you for one more glimpse tonight for an opportunity to look into your word and not only see a model of faith that we find encouraging in David, but even more, the greater David, who, as he said in Luke 24, is what the Psalms are really all about. So bless this truth to our heart. Help us to release control. Help us to delight in our identity in you. Help us to trust your love and your power and not depend on our own resources. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen.